Welcome to the show, everyone. Great to be with you. It's good to be back. We had a little respite, a little two-week sabbatical from the show. I got fussed at for that. You did. Where were y'all at? Somebody, a listener? Yeah. Well, that's good to know that people are listening, but it's great to be with you guys. So thanks for listening today. Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk, Adam Bayro in studio today. Yeah. Adam Bayro? Did you hear yourself? Yeah. Adam and Chad Bayro. How about that? There we go. But Adam Bayro does have a ring to it, by the way. You should probably name your next son Adam. That's that's what it's going to be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had a little respite. You know, we had, you know, Holy Week, so we didn't want to do a show on Good Friday, obviously, because we record on Fridays. Mm. So in honor of Good Friday and, you know, fasting and laying low, we did that. And then we had Easter break, uh, which was great, just time off. I was in North Carolina uh, for the week getting away with the family it was really nice and beautiful up there yeah how's the weather weather was phenomenal mm-hmm. it's kind of spring and fall like no mm. kidding kind of had to wear a light jacket which was nice did some hiking in the mountains and just kind of lay low it was, it was pretty cool that's awesome yeah. yeah it's beautiful out there i've only been there once for my anniversary over my my uh honeymoon yeah so it was in the mountains so like like western carolinas and like the you know the the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, Smoky, Blue Ridge. Mm, beautiful out there. But Did you see any mountain critters? Well, they say they have bears, so you have to hide your trash or whatever and put it away. Hide so, your children, hide your trash. Yeah, <laughs> hide your kids, your wife, everything. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so anyway, you got fussed at. Who fussed at you? A listener. A listener. Yeah. Where were you? Where were you? Yeah. I huh. say, well, we'll be back. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> they can't get rid of us. Here we are. Yeah. So listener anyway. also said, y'all are so crazy. Yeah. That's it's pretty true. Yeah, so, it's so crazy. In a good way, I think. So welcome back to everyone uh, listening to the show on the podcast, on the radio, KLFT Radio. Lots of awesome things going on. We're in Easter season, which is a time of rejoicing, you know, leading up to Pentecost. We have this this long, I, I love the season of Easter because we're called to it's celebrate. So it's great, you know, right? It's the uh, best season. It's the, it's the longest season. It is. But it feels like the shortest to me. Mm-hmm. You know, well, maybe not the shortest. Christmas is pretty short. But it doesn't feel as long as Lent, for sure. But it is longer than Lent. I think we, it, well, it's longer, but, you know, Easter, we don't really think about it as a season, oftentimes, although it is, whereas Lent, it's kind of like, you know, you're really kind of focused on Lent. Easter is what, 50 days? 50 days. And, you know, we're called to celebrate, rejoice. It's leading up to Pentecost, which is, you know, the birth of the church and gift of the Holy Spirit, pretty powerful stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, as you're, as you're sitting there thinking, oh, I didn't realize that we were still in Easter. Yeah, we're still in Easter season. And, you know, to be intentional about being in Easter is, you know, really leaning into the gift of the church, the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection, and just all that comes with that. I mean, it's a lot to unpack. You know, mm-hmm. you'll notice like in the in the readings, you know, it's the season where actually the first reading, we're not in the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. We're in the mm. book of Acts, which, I mean, you dive into the book of Acts, I mean, you see some crazy stuff. So <laughs> speaking of crazy stuff, I actually, I know you have a Have You Seen Chad, but I actually have one too. What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? Yeah, so um, I am for real. <laughs> today, actually, April uh, 16th, the day that we're recording the show, is Pope Benedict XVI's birthday. All right. Yeah, and that's my boy, man. He's like one of my my heroes. Mm. Um, he's 94 today. All right, so here's what's killer about this dude, right? Is that I looked up, there was a picture of him, and he's, he's 
you know, in like a chair or wheelchair. And he's just, you know, holding a huge beer. It looks like about a, <laughs> <laughs> he like, does like, his beer. like a 32 ounce or in just a mug. <laughs> and he's, Goodness gracious. He's just cheering. You he's know, German, right? One of his, his buddies, you know, and he's 94 today. That's Ninety-four. Wild. Yeah. Who'd have thought? He doesn't look a day over ninety-three, which is cool. He's kind of you know he's not a saint yet, you know, and I don't know if he will be. That's not for me to determine. Whatever, but he is sort of like the patron of my ministry, like the ministry that we have, the mm-hmm. art of living, and that that whole you know title comes from a quote that he had, Pope Benedict, in the year two thousand. He gave a speech to catechists around the world evangelists around the world, you know, um, all of us, priests, lay people. And he gave this speech and he said, you know, um, Jesus taught people the art of living. To evangelize means to teach the art of living, what it means to Mm. be fully alive as a human. And that quote just struck me. And that was in 2000. So that was, you know, 21 years ago. And that quote has stayed with me. You know, because, you know, the evangelization of the church and people and discipleship is is so much more about just someone hearing about Jesus. It's walking with them and teaching them the art of what it means to live a new life in Christ, right? And so that quote came from him, and we named the ministry after him. So he's he's kind of one of my cool dudes. Yeah, your distant mentor. Me too. I mean, um, for a lot of reasons, theologically, churchman I mean— He's lived a life that very few Christians ever get to live as far as his influence on the church. He was uh, instrumental in the new code of... He was instrumental in Vatican II. He was instrumental in the new code of canon law. He ran the... the uh, he was the um, director of the CDF, the uh, Doctrine of the Faith, the Promotion of the Doctrine of the Faith office for a couple decades. He was instrumental in the new catechism. Um, I mean... He literally influenced the church more than probably most people ever had a chance to in two thousand years, you mm-hmm. know. And he he did it all with his beer, <laughs> his beer. <laughs> so you know what's interesting about Pope Benedict is, um, you know, he's he's a real theologian at heart. Like his writings yep. are intense. Where uh, John Paul II is a theologian, but he was really. You know, in his writings, he was a philosopher. Like, the way he wrote the philosophy was beautiful as well. Benedict is a theologian. Like, he, his theology is just, you know, it's on point, it's clear, and his writings are really deep. But in the, in the middle, and kind of central to all his writings, it's very Christ-centered, you know, yep. Christ-centric. Yep. And, you know, one of the things he talked about a lot was deism, where you know deism is sort of this is not sort of it's this idea that God created and stepped back. You know, like people have to look mm. out and like, okay, there's got to be some author of creation, but I don't really believe God is sort of this. You know, He created and stepped back. He's not. He's not engaged in the world. He's not relational. He's not a person, right? Like none of those things. And he spoke a lot against that. Actually, that sort of attitude. Uh, and there's this quote. He says, "God is not distant." Uh, he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is not a stranger. He has a face and the face of Jesus. I mean, and that that was like central to his theology and his writings, of course. I mean, he's, you know, Catholic theologian, but um, he spoke boldly against sort of this attitude that, that God's 
God's not real. God's not in the world. God's not active. Uh, he talked a lot about being in a relationship with Christ. Mm. Um, Why do you think people would want to believe in a God that is distant like that, like the deist well, idea? You, yeah, I mean, I think the deist idea is, you know, comes from agnostics and atheists in a sense who start to kind of understand, okay, like creation had to happen some way, like this all came together, you know, like sort of these these other things don't make sense. But but they have a hard time believing that evil can exist at the same time, right? Like mm. that that God, a good God, would allow these things to happen, you know, evil to exist. But when you begin to break open the theology, you begin to understand the fallen nature of humanity, sin in the world, things like that. And those things are hard to grasp. And I think a lot of times people just don't want to grasp those tough topics. And mm. so it's just easier, in a sense, to step back from it and just say, yeah, I sort of believe that something happened and that, you know, maybe there was a God or is a God, but but he's not relational and I can't be in a relationship with it. Yeah, and you don't have to submit to a distant God. Yeah. God, if a God doesn't care what I do, you yeah. know, but that mean, it also means he doesn't care about you, you know, yeah. which is an unfortunate part. Well, I mean, in, in the church, especially in the 70s and at the time of the council, there was this tendency, kind of the other side of deism where we want to, we want to go back to a space where we recognize that every human person has a desire for God, which is true. And that is the fundamental religious experience. So in other words, the church is just here to help that happen, right? Like, and we need to, we need to frame things that way. We need to evangelize that way. So for example, we need to go in third world country and not just bring our own ideas of faith or religion, but start with what's already there, you know, like the, the way that and this is this is a big push in the 70s. It's still around today. And Pope Benedict fought at the council. He fought against this in some of the documents, and they would have been a lot different without him fighting. But you know, there's this key phrase in in one of the documents of uh, reading the signs of the times. Like when Jesus talked about that, like reading the signs of the times, and this idea that we need to follow the world and what the world needs and is interpreting, and like meet the world where it's at, and these kinds of things. And the church needs to follow that. And Pope Benedict said, "Well." Christ is the sign of the times. Hmm. He's hmm. talking about himself when he says that. In other words, what he's calling the church to do now is the sign of the times. It's not going to be found in the remote Amazon rainforest people. <clears throat> it's going to be found in the Adoration Chapel and in prayer and discernment. Like the Holy Spirit is going to lead the church now to do what it needs to be done, you know? And so we don't say the fundamental religious experience of man is this innate desire for God that we build everything around that. The fundamental religious experience, Saint Benedict, oh, Saint Benedict, Pope Benedict would tell us, is that God became man in search of us. Jesus Christ is the fundamental religious experience. The incarnation is the fundamental, and everything else revolves around that. And the church should too, and we're at our best when we do. And we just fall apart when we, when we say no. Like we're going to start with, you know, world religions have great things about them, and we're just going to kind of nurture that with Christianity. Mm. You know, the church should go to these places and just kind of enhance it, you know, and, and journey with these people. Like, no, we go to preach Christ wherever we go. A hundred percent. And and here's, you know, one of the key theological concepts that is really important is that all theology, all evangelization, all catechesis, which is the pass on and teach the faith, right, to echo it down, leads back to Christ. And if it doesn't lead back to Christ, then it's not, it's not true teaching, and it's not true catechesis, and it's not true evangelization. So if evangelization leads to 
another person or another thing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it, you know, if catechesis leads to some other thought and not to Christ, then it's not true. It's mm-hmm. not real. It's not, it's not, you know, based on, you know, Catholic theology or God or truth. So, and one of the things, you know, within sort of answering your question earlier, like, you know, around the whole idea of deism and then we got, you know, agnostic atheism is that, you know, Pope Benedict spoke a lot about relativism, mm. uh, living in this world where, you know, people believe in the absence of truth or that truth is really ultimately what I decide it is, not mm-hmm. what you decide or what any other thing. And you mentioned that, Adam, like, you know, when, you know, we don't want to believe in a guy that we have to submit to, right? Because there's certain moral truths that, that our hearts and our minds have to eventually surrender to, which ultimately gives us the most freedom in our life, yep. mm-hmm. uh, not bondage. Uh, but Pope Dennis says, you know, one of the quotes I love about relativism, he says, we are moving toward a dictator, dictatorship of relativism in our world, which does not recognize anything as for certain on which ha- has as its highest goal one's own ego and one's own desire, right? So at the, at the heart of relativism is like I'm the center mm-hmm. <laughs> of my truth. Yes. If you think about that, like just this, this selfish nature, this, this egoism, then I, I'm the center of my world, and I decide what's real, what's true, and what's good. Yeah, and then it, what happens then is that you impose your truths on the people around you. Because the, if the highest thing you can know is yourself and your personal truths, then, I mean, all your world is is that they have to know those truths as well, or they have to submit to those truths, um, or else you're being dominated and you want to be the dominator, right? And that's, I mean, how dangerous is that philosophy? How incredibly dangerous. Yeah, and I love Pope Benedict's humility in that I can't remember exactly. It was a collection of essays, a book, and I read it in, so it's kind of, I can't name the document. But he said, how foolish we would be as a church, and I'm paraphrasing, how foolish we would be to think we haven't been affected by this. Mm. So we live in a sea of relativism, Mm -hmm. and you see it in the church. Like we're all willing to take our version of Catholicism or our version of, of morality when it comes to gossip or power playing or whatever in the church, like we, he says it's foolish to think we haven't been affected by it. And so in a continual examination of conscience within the church about moral relativism, about um, our tendency to just be egotistical is totally necessary. I'm paraphrasing. Well, it's pretty egotistical to, to decide what truth is, <laughs> like to, <laughs> yeah. to determine what your truth is, you know, but people feel it's real safe there because they don't have to change, you know, and they mm-hmm. can just decide what's, what's real, what's not real, what's true, what's good. And a lot of this is based on emotionalism, right? Like what just ever in the moment makes me feel right or good. But ultimately, you know, you use the word dangerous, Chad. Ultimately, it's it's just empty. You know, yeah. what yeah. it does is it leaves us all empty. You know, when there's it's, not a center of our truth based in reality, based in God, based in the, the one who created us, right? Mm-hmm. So it just leaves us empty, searching for more. Yeah, what it reminds me of is... Well, the the idea of relativism came from the idea that all we can know truly is our own personal truth, right? Our own emotions and the way we feel about things and the ways we experience the world. And what it does is it 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 gets rid of the elders. You know, it's like we don't want to listen to the wisdom of our elders, the things passed down, the things they learned about the world and the way that humans exist and the way humans interact. And it, it says they their truths don't matter. What they've mm-hmm. taught us, what we've learned from doesn't matter. And it reminds me of a teenager. Like yeah. right at the point when they hit teenagers and they're like, oh, my parents, <laughs> I hate my parents and uh, I don't want to listen to them. 
but they're not the, like the people we should listen to. Like you don't want to listen to the teenager because what do they know? You know, like what, what wisdom do they have? It's not until they get older and they realize all that their parents have taught them and all that their the wisdom from their parents that they pass down that they become wise people. Right. And people worth listening to. When all this talk on relativism, you know, in our world goes back to Jesus' conversation with Pilate, you know. Yes. Which, you know, when, what is truth? When Pilate, yeah, what is truth? And Jesus, they have a conversation about truth, right? And that and that's part of evangelization, part of catechesis, part of discipleship is bringing people to the reality of what truth is, which is the face of Christ, Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, God. And the realities that come with that. So, all right, uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. It's Paul George Show. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet. Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in today um, on the podcast on KLFT Radio here in Acadiana. Great to be back in the show. Deacon Adam, Chad, Barrow, the uncle of all uncles. Uncle Uncle of uncles. Uncle Chad. Uncle to America. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So America's uncle. I think in our last show that we actually had, we talked about your favorite Easter candy. I don't know. That just comes to mind. But in honor of Pope Benedict on his birthday, and he's, you know, giving cheers with a big beer in his hand. What would be if you had a beer in your hand to cheer Pope Benedict? Which beer would you have in your hand? Whatever he's drinking, I don't know because it's probably some. To be honest with you, I don't like German beer. Actually, I'm just gonna say that, but it's probably a German beer. But I would drink that kind with him because what else are you gonna do? If I was with him, yeah, I would drink whatever he had. You I would just say, like hey, that. look, some stuff from Orneville's pretty good, Pope. <laughs> <laughs> like we have some stuff in Broussard that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Parish, yeah. Parish had this Abbey Ale that they produced forever ago and they haven't produced it since but it was like so sweet that it was sticky what well, there's some german beers but i can't pronounce their names like wife and <laughs> Stefaner, you know uh is like their best beer um is it yeah <laughs> that's what they say and then there's a, uh, I mean some of the beers heffenweisen heffenweisen i've heard of that heffenweisen yeah well, maybe you try to impress him with your knowledge of German beer. That day. I can't even pronounce German. I would feel like that the German language would be really hard to understand. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm emotionally angry enough to speak it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to get some more anger in me. It's kind of like Italian. Like, I don't think I have enough you know, drama in my heart. I'd have to become more of a dramatic person. Too lazy of a speaker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I could definitely do like a, a, a Spanish or a French. It's like a lazy, lazy language, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So one of my most embarrassing moments was uh, I was, you know, not too far out of college and I got asked to speak at a a retreat in Denver, Colorado, because I had a friend there who's a a youth youth minister at a parish. And uh, so I went out there and he had like a dinner at his house before with like some of the retreat leaders and then like some of their, you know, volunteers and stuff like that. So 
there was a woman who was like, oh, hey, how are you? And she had this accent. And she was apparently from, she was from Germany and she was teaching there at the, at the school. And she had a real thick German accent. And I go, <laughs> so I introduce myself, and I go without hesitation, okay? No filter. I don't even know what I was thinking. I said, oh, I know German. And she, <laughs> and Why? She, I have no idea. <laughs> Because I thought it would be funny. <laughs> and she says, oh, really? Yeah, you know, whatever. And she got, like, excited, yeah. you know, that I, and I was like, <laughs> so I said, so I said, hock into a lily. <laughs> uh, what does that even, hock into it, like spit into a flower, I guess? Yeah, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> that, was, that was the German that I knew. And she looked at me, no lie, without hesitation, she goes, that's not funny. <laughs> that's that's not funny. And I was like, yeah, I guess it's not funny. <laughs> I mean, it's funny to me, but that's relative. Stupid American. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> you ever seen videos of people speaking English gib gibberish, like words that don't mean anything, but it sounds like it's an English word? It's a weird, weird experience. Yeah. Hmm. So I learned my lesson. Like, people were sensitive about their home country, their language, <laughs> yeah, and you shouldn't make fun of them. <laughs> and I, I was. I wasn't intentionally trying to make fun. I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to make fun of you. I was just thinking, oh, I'm just going to be funny about German language right. because that's cool. And uh, I wouldn't and be sensitive. I feel like people make, make fun of Americans all the time and Louisiana Americans in particular. Yeah, yeah, but if you go to France, you know, the French, not all of them, this is a generalization, but they don't necessarily like Americans. Correct. And they make fun of you. And it's mean. Like they're not like, hey, hey, hey. You know, like in like in, in Italy, if you go, there's like some old dude like smoking on like the sidewalk, sitting down, drinking coffee, eating a pastry. It's like literally like what you see. And they're just so chill. They're like, Oh, Americans, we love you. Ha ha ha. You know? <laughs> in in France, it's like it comes across and they're like it feels like they're like throwing daggers at you. It's like you're like Oh, you're actually being mean. Yeah, I had a friend who went there regularly. He just said he was from Canada. Oh. They were okay with it. Right. Oh. Well, yeah. Right. I'm not, I'm not advocating lying. I'm just saying that's which what is Which is another most embarrassing story. With Canada? Yeah, but I don't know if we can get into that. <laughs> <laughs> like an embarrassing stories. So, anyway. Uh, so, it's Pope Benedict's birthday. You know, here, here's what's interesting. <laughs> what I love about... Uh, <laughs> no way to transition. Yeah, here's the transition. His birthday is that, uh, you know, he really... People don't... Real, I think they'll look back on his pontificate and realize that he was probably going to be one of the, the greatest evangelists of our time, right? And, you know, it was interesting. We were talking at the break. Chad, you were saying, like, you don't really know Pope Benedict. And what I've learned is that you know, you kind of lean into sort of these papal figures in who you grew up with or, you know, who you read about. And, you know, you didn't really come into the faith until like the end of his pontificate and then Pope Francis came in, right? So mm -hmm. whereas I grew up with John Paul II and Pope Benedict, like, you know, I read all their books and, you know, really understand them. You know, where, where you as a younger Catholic, like, you know, you'll look back later on and you'll realize the treasure of like what he brought to the church. But you know, it's interesting. He actually gave a quote and I'm going to paraphrase it too, uh, years ago. And it was probably around the year 2000 when he was, uh, before he was actually Pope, he was, you know, Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, was his, you know, it's his German name, Ratzinger. Um, 
And he gave a quote, a paraphrase, and it actually really upset me. Um, where he said that basically the church is going to become smaller. Mm. And people kind of went off on him for it. And, you know, what he was getting at is that, you know, we're, what we're seeing today is like the church is becoming a little bit smaller, but what he was saying is it's going to become stronger. Like it's going to, it's going to come back to Christ. It's going to come back to the reality of what the church is about, right? Mm-hmm. Which is Jesus and discipleship. And, pe- and, you know, Christians are going to become stronger, but it's going to get smaller before then, you know, because mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to face adversity. We're going to face, um, you know, martyrdom, you know, whether it be physical or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, that's an interesting point. Maybe I haven't, I, I mean, we talked about this before, but I feel like maybe at least the American church, I don't feel like we have a strong grasp of our identity as like who we are as Catholics, you know, it's not really easy to point a Catholic out from the crowd unless they're in a habit or in uh, clerics, you know, and I wonder if the church getting smaller helps people find that identity, you know, like who we are as Catholics. Well, what you are seeing Does that make sense? With, within the church is, is more of a move towards smaller communities and small groups and discipleship, and, and that's what's happening. Is like there are people who are really hungry to go deeper and, and really follow Christ, and that people who are sort of on the fringes are falling away. Now, what upset me about the quote is that I've always had a heart for those people, right, who are on the fringes and are mm-hmm. falling away. And that's not what he's saying is that we shouldn't have evangelize the people who are on the fringes or have fallen away, sort of the, this idea of nons, the, you know, the people who, who don't identify or not involved, um, but that just the strengthening of the church is going to get smaller and then it's going to grow from there, you know, sort of this idea of the new springtime, which uh, has been written about. So it, it's it's interesting time, but he's he is very prophetic, which is interesting. You know, when I use the word prophetic, is that we're in the season of Easter, which leads to Pentecost, which the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit of what you know we receive through baptism, through confirmation, right, and through being active and close to Jesus. And I, I think one of the spiritual gifts that Pope Benedict had, and he wouldn't probably self claim this is is a prophetic gift that he mm-hmm. you know spoke prophetically about the future just not knowing that it was maybe you know hey i'm a prophet you know but i think we'll look back and and see that one of his must read books um was actually just a collection of some of the talks he gave but it's called christianity and the crisis of cultures so it's a short book because it's, it's literally just like four talks he gave that were transcribed and put together but Christianity and the Crisis of Cultures, it's a must-read because a lot of that prophetic witness comes from a mind that's very like very accurately diagnosing what's happening in front of us. He has a view of the West, at least, and Europe um, that is very accurate. And so he's able to prayerfully, considering this view, prayerfully consider where is the church going to go. And, you know, Pope Benedict was a great ecclesiologist. He understood the church, and his big... his his big themes of what the church is is that it's a communion on pilgrimage and on mission. A communion on pilgrimage and on mission. And his, his, to what Paul was talking about, his point is that that communion, part of our pilgrimage, is we're going to dwindle in number in the West, which has happened mm-hmm. and continues to happen. We're going to suffer. And 
we're going to have a renewed sense of mission, you know? Mm. And I think all of that is coming true. And I think the 20, by the end of the 21st century, those things are definitely going to be more and more true. We're going to be smaller in the West. We're going to suffer a lot. But we're going to have a renewed sense of mission. And that's part of our pilgrim journey to heaven. Like we're journeying towards that day when Christ comes back again. That's what he's, the church journeys to that day. And our, our church history is our, you know, our family yearbook. Like this is what happened this year, that year, that year. And we're in a time of focusing, I think, on communion and mission, just like Pope Benedict said, like focus on our communion, focus on our mission. And um, it, the more we do that, I think the healthier we're going to be as a church. That's an interesting thing. And, and observation even which you were talking about the nuns and things like that, like most of the young Catholics that I know are either they're, they're all in or they're, there's not lukewarm Catholics, I suppose, at least in my generation, not that I see very often. I mean, they're there, but they're act, if they are, they're actively falling away and it's pretty clear or, and they're not really identifying or they're all in, you know, well, it's sort of like this, one of the others. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. this line and I think it's in the cat, it's in, it's in Christianity or, you know, in general, just in, in talking to, you know, brothers and sisters who, who aren't Catholic, who are Protestant and are, you know, practicing their faith and they live for Christ is there is just this, 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 the dichotomy of like a Christian or Catholic who's like, I'm all in, I'm going to, you know, believe in everything the church teaches and, and I'm, you know, even if it's difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's those who either don't believe or just pick and choose what they want, right? And that's the idea of relativism, you know, I'm just going to pick and choose, and then when the church speaks out about, you know, a pro-life issue, and I don't believe it, I'm just, I'm done. I'm just not going to go to church for a while until I cool down, you know. And, they, they, you know, they, they just, there's certain things that they just don't want to bend their life around and submit to. And the reality is this, is like, following Christ is hard, right? Like, we all know that, like, it's difficult. But I think one of the hardest things is, like, letting go of the things that we want to hold on to. And a lot of that is just our own thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, our, our own beliefs that make us feel comfortable, you know. And, you know, we're seeing that fine line happening right now with a lot of the moral dilemmas and moral issues in our world where, you know, we experience a lot of that in America because everything's so political. It seems like a lot of the identity right now, people get caught up in that, even in the church are getting caught up in politics, you know, and in the polit- political divides of the church and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, and distinguishing that from mission because right. it's a hard thing to distinguish, but it's very it's a very important distinguishing. Mission is not making the world a better world. That's not the church's mission. Mm. The church's mission is to connect people to Christ. Like that's why we're in the world. We're not in the world to leave this world better than we found it. Mm. We're in this world because People have been disconnected from God. God's plan to reconcile the world to himself is Christ. And so we reconcile God to his people, to people he creates, through Jesus Christ. Like, that's the mission. And Pope Benedict said, one of the quotes that sticks with me and defines my work, hopefully, is, there's never a need more urgent than people's need for Jesus Christ. Whether it's food, water, freedom, shelter, um, political rights, all those things are important. But the greatest human need, there's nothing more urgent or pressing than the relationship with God and Jesus Christ. Right, and, uh, and that's, that's the truth. Is like the mission of the church is to bring Christ to the world. It's to bring freedom. But 
but freedom in God, freedom mm -hmm. in Christ, like freedom in people's hearts, right? So people who are living, you know, under the reign of communism can have freedom and, and purpose in Christ. And so we, we, they, they live in more difficult circumstances, certainly, and persecution. But Christ's freedom reigns above all those things. And this is the cool thing that we're seeing in the book of Acts. And I want to challenge folks. Like, we're in the season of Easter, and we break open the book of Acts leading up to Pentecost, right? Read the book of Acts. Read it slowly. Read it chapter by chapter. And you will be surprised at the power of God moving in the world, right? But it's not moving politically. It's not moving structurally. It's moving in the hearts of people, right? And in the first few books of Acts that we're reading right now, like, the, the disciples keep getting arrested, you know, they're arrested and put in prison. Then either like an angel like miraculously breaks them out or they, you know, someone within the Sanhedrin fights on their behalf and goes to him and says, look, let these guys go, you know. And, you know, one of them this week was like, look, let these guys go. If what they believe is not of God, it's just going to end. If it's of human origin, it's just going to fall apart. It's going to end. So like, why are you worried? If, it, if it's of God, we can't stop it. So just chill out. And so they let him out of prison. They flogged him and let him go. And they rejoiced that they got flogged. And they, they like, you know, were persecuted on behalf of Christ. And it says, you know, they told him to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said they kept doing it, right? Um, because the, the world of the, of the Lord is, goes beyond this world. Like, mm. And you see it there, a couple of days ago in the book of Acts. I think it was, yeah, it was chapter 5. Um, Peter was arrested and gave strict orders to stop teaching in that name, the name of Jesus. Yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and we want to bring this man's blood upon us. So P Peter's talking. But Peter and the apostles said in reply, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus, uh, though they had killed him by hanging him on the tree. So we must obey God. Like God's, God's love, you know, God's reign is is beyond this world, right? And I mean, how many of us would have a certain wound in our heart healed to hear certain church leaders say that phrase? We must obey God rather than men, right. out loud and publicly. Mm. I'm not saying anyone's done anything wrong. I'm just saying, this is let's, let's rehearse that line together. Right. <laughs> and whenever it comes up, let's be ready to say that we must obey God rather than men, rather than government, regulations rather than you know right and th and this is like the where the moral dilemma is like yeah jesus says right like pay to caesar what belongs to caesar and to, and to god what belongs to god so like yeah we have certain rules and laws like so don't get in your car and drive 500 miles an hour kill yourself and someone else right like they no like there's there's a law that's good that that keeps everyone safe and that's a good thing to obey right uh, don't murder people. That's a nice one to obey. You know, don't steal. You know, all the commandments, a lot of the commandments fall are our natural laws and our civic laws, right? But then there are certain moral laws that we don't, like, God supersedes those. Like, you know, so, you know, the world says, you know, hey, you know, kill your baby. And it's like, no, like, no, no, like, I can't do that. Like, I can't follow that. Like, God... God supersedes that that civic law because His moral law to to love and to to honor life and to not kill. You know, like 
like you said, like we don't have to make we don't have to make up the words. Like the church has been around long mm-hmm. enough for thousands of years to where we don't even have to rehearse. Like we just have to speak the word of God that's in scripture, that's in church teaching that help us fo- you know follow God and I think it would be great if more leaders and even, you know, lay people would just, would speak more boldly on behalf of God, not fighting. No. You know, not 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 you know throwing people you know, to the wolves or, you know, but just, just speaking truth, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And what, what obedience is Peter talking about? He was talking about Christ's commandment. You are witnesses of these things. Go into the whole world, right? Witnesses of the resurrection. Go into the whole world, teaching them what I have taught you. So the obedience is to teach and to give witness that we know the risen Christ, that we know what the truth is. And it's when that witness is silenced in society that we must obey God rather than men. And there are many, many tactics that the devil will use or wicked men will use or women will use to silence that witness. We can't just cheaply give it away as a church. Sure, we'll be silent for a time. We'll do less of this for a time. We will rephrase that issue. We won't speak out on that because it will. We must obey God rather than men, you know, to give that witness. And it might get us arrested or killed. But this is the obedience that we're all called to. And Easter's a great time. It's a season of encouragement. It's a season of power. It's a season of reminding ourselves who we are as a church and who Jesus Christ is, that he's conquered the worst thing that could happen, sin and death, he's conquered it. There is literally nothing else out there worse than that. He's conquered it. And we should have a boldness, we should have a confidence, and we should be ready to obey that we have been sent on witness, on mission to the risen Christ. And this is what's being intentional about our walk with Christ, is like if we're going to be intentional in Lent about stripping away our old habits, our sins, about fasting and lear- and learning to pray again and you know, growing in those areas of our life. The Easter season is about empowering us to live this out. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to build in courage and boldness and fortitude and love and mercy and, you know, the gifts, you know, joy, hope, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, and, uh, I mean, the fruits and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, wisdom, uh, knowledge, prophecy, healing, like all those things is what we're reading in the book of Acts where you see Peter who goes from denying Christ to preaching boldly in, you know, you know, out in the streets. Mm-hmm. Jesus, not afraid to lose his life. You're like, what, what happened? Like, what was the transition? The transition is that, you know, the power of God is now in him, not outside of him. Right, like through Christ, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us, and we have the power of God inside of us, and that is unleashed by just allowing God to move in our heart. And this is what Easter is about. Easter, in a sense, is a little bit more scarier than Lent because you know Lent allows me to kind of stay inside myself and to kind of think and you know like internally and and like prayerfully and like like that's good. Easter is about like now, now you need to go out and like that's where it's like I don't know about that. Yeah, the end of Lent is focusing on the death of Christ. The end of Easter is contemplating our own death through martyrdom. Boom. And being mm. willing to do that. There you go. And so yeah, it's tougher to stick around. That's why I mean Easter's not as popular as Lent. Isn't that weird? 
Right. And you would think that the party season would be like, that's when we'd see all the weekday masses full, the mm. confession line long, but it's during Lent. Man, it's interesting. People like to complain more than like to celebrate, you know? Well, I mean, think about it. Like if in Easter season, like we, we did more intention, you know, like we do in Lent. Like, what, you know, what if we, you know, prayed more novenas, prayed over people more for mm-hmm. healing and empowerment more? You know, what if we did more Easter missions and, you know, like, but this is where I think oftentimes, and look, I'm being convicted as we're talking, is that as a church, we're, we, become, we become very mediocre, right? Like this is, this is where we're stale. Like mm. we don't know how to empower disciples to go out into the world. Right? Say Pope Benedict would say we, we lose our pilgrim identity in that case. Like we don't live here. This is not our comfort zone. You know, that, you know, like in the diocese of Lafayette where we live, this diocese wasn't established to set up shop and create Catholic utopia. That's not why we're here. Mm-hmm. Like we're here because there are souls here that don't know Jesus and we need to connect them to that. Like that's mm, yeah. why we're here. Paradise is not here. Well, and this is what this is the transition that happened in the, the first disciples. Is uh, like, no, we're going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. Why not yeah. die for Christ? Like we're, we're we we now live for eternity, and yet if I die now or if I die of old age, like what's the difference? Like I'm going to die, not in the sense of like life doesn't have meaning, but in a sense now life has more purpose. Okay, and that purpose is Christ above everything else, and so I'm going to live for Christ, and if I die for Him now or later, it doesn't really matter to me. Like my life is now set, uh, and the course is set. I have a pilgrim, you know, attitude of mm-hmm. that. You know, this is this is only like a, you know, a short stay here. And I mean, if we all as Christians live with that sort of mentality and attitude and vigor, I mean, our world would be, you know, a different place certainly. So, all right, mm-hmm. let's take a break, and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for listening to, well, you know, we've had a couple of weeks off. It's great to be back. Just not, you know, I don't want to forget to mention the Bronco raffle. It's coming. We're a month away. Yeah, a month away from the drawing, which is cool. So any the cool thing about it is that if you just go to broncoraffle.com, anyone anywhere around the world can buy a ticket online, $20, and you get a 2021 Bronco, Ford Bronco. Well, you don't get it if you buy a ticket, but you get a shot. <laughs> That's false advertising right there. Well, you get a shot at, you get a shot at, 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 at winning at the Bronco Sport. Winning, which is cool because all the proceeds go to this, Catholic Radio. 100%. The studio, you know you know, all, all the things. And so, whereas, you know, Catholic radio here is a nonprofit, uh, we can certainly use your support. So even if you just want to buy a ticket to support it, but you, you actually do get a chance at the, the Bronco. Right? Yeah. Five ticket package is very popular because you spend a hundred bucks, but you get five tickets, which gives you a one in 2000 chance at worst of winning the Bronco. Cause we only have a limited number of tickets. So there's 10,000 tickets total. Um, so if you buy up five of those, that's a one in 2,000 chance of winning. It's the pretty solid. Nice. Yeah. 
Pretty solid. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to get my family to buy them. I don't think I can, but they can. <laughs> you so, could. Yeah, you could. They you can. Know. We could all buy them. Well, yeah. I can't buy them. No, I shouldn't. Yes, it would seem like an inside job if one of you guys <laughs> won. Although, Deacon Adam you know. Conk wins the Ford Bronco that he was giving away. <laughs> right. No problem here. It would be great if you actually raffled off a Bronco, like a, a like a, a, live. a wild stallion. Do those still exist? Put the winner on the back, and if he can tame it, he can have it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. That's pretty good. I'm sure they do. Have you ever seen like life documentaries? They have Broncos roaming around the... Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's there could be some wild ones. You got to go to a different country, but yeah. Mm. So anyway, all right. Why don't we? It's been a while. Why don't we get back to six pack of questions? Question. All right, Paul. Okay, we Chad. are in. <laughs> so we're in the season of of Easter. Mm-hmm. Jesus is resurrecting and walking around with the apostles. What do you think he talked about? We don't have much of an account. At least, you know, a written account of what Jesus talked about for those fifty days mm-hmm. after his resurrection, when he was before he's ascended. What do you think? Uh, what do you think the conversations were? Well, we do know that of the accounts that we do have in Scripture, uh, you know, the road to Emmaus, right? You know, the appearing to the the disciples is that he spent those last times, you know, intentionally either one on one with the disciples or within the group teaching them like what was next, right? Mm-hmm. And although they didn't get it fully that he would be ascending and send the Holy Spirit, he talked a lot about that. He talked a lot about, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the paraclete to be with you. I'll never, you know, abandon you. You know, he spent time with Peter, you know, specifically giving him the keys to the kingdom, empowering him, you know, mm-hmm. as a human and, you know, as a, a pope, right? Like to spiritually lead and the, the the last part of the human formation that he needed, right? You know, so, you know, he had that conversation with Peter about commitment. You know, do you mm-hmm. believe in me? Do you believe in me? You do believe Yes, no, yes, you know, no, really, do you? Just teaching Peter about that commitment to him. Like, so, like those those interactions, you kind of see the, the continuation of what, you know, just to follow the theme of the show, Pope Benedict teaching the art of living, right? What it fully means to live for him. And that's what I love about, you know, those those small post-resurrection interactions that where, where Jesus is there. Question number two. So we're talking about Acts, how we're going through Acts as a church. Um, kind of talk to me about the importance of not, not condemning people, but just holding people to their past failures in your relationship. Because I imagine that early community, you know, as the apostles were in relationship, well, Peter, you failed this way. John, you failed that way. James, you know, James, you want to be right on his right and left. Remember that, you, mm-hmm. you arrogant person? But there had to come a point where they were willing to trust each other in this mission, like willing to uh, look beyond past failings and forgive people. And that, to me, that's just an interesting dynamic in the church. Can you kind of speak to that, like what the importance of that and how to do that, like how to actually look beyond people's past failures in your life, you know? Yeah, I think you could still see that there's a human element, obviously, because, you know, none of the disciples or or any of us are, you know, divine. We're all human, okay? And so even our Pope has a spiritual authority, but he's still human. And you saw some infighting, you know, which it's very human. Like, oh, I we should do it this way. No, it's better to do it this way, right? Like, and you see that early between, you know, Peter and Paul, you know? 
and sort of, but they worked through it. Like they prayed through it. They got through it. And I think that's what's important, you know, is doing that. One of the things that we talk about in our own family is that let's stop identifying each other with by our past mistakes, but with the change that we're trying to make. And a lot of times when we fight, you'd be like, yo, you remember when you used to be this way or do that. And there's nothing more, not only insulting, but shaming than doing that. But as Christians, like we believe that there's new life and like to just be able to like see someone in their change or the change that they want to be or the direction that they want to go and not identify them with who they were in the past. It's really important. Mm. Question number three, how do you think we could, what would be a good way to celebrate Easter? Like we have all these things and rituals we do for Lent, but we kind of talked, we kind of touched on it a little bit during the show, but what do you think would be a good way for families, for individuals to celebrate Easter for those 50 days? I think reading the book of Acts would be huge. I think praying uh, a novena to the Holy Spirit leading up to Pentecost uh, would be great. I think reading about the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit, something we don't do more, it'd basically be if you're confirmed, revisiting the teachings of confirmation because it has a lot of, you know, to do with like Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think just being intentional in that way and then just praying with a sense of like mission, like like what does God want you know, where, whereas Lent, it's like, you know, how God, what do, how do you want me to fast and grow spiritually? Easter is like, God, how do you want to use me and send me out into the world to use my gifts? Mm. Love it. All right, question number four. You get the prize, Paul. You win a two-minute conversation with Pope Benedict. Cheers. Two um, minutes? To talk about whatever you want. Yes. What's your leading conversation uh, well, there's point. assuming there's a beer in my hand. Yes. And you're not with me complaining about how you don't like German beer. I'm not there. Okay. It's just you and the so, Pope Benedict. you know, there's a there's a cheers, there's a, <laughs> you know, boom, and then the question is... Something has to come out of your mouth. What's the first thing? I think the first thing is, like, what was at the heart of this quote about teaching the art of living? Because that's what sticks out the most. So I would, like, have, like, the printout of that speech that he gave. And I would mm. want him. To, I would want to talk about that speech. Mm. Nice. Yeah, I like it. I feel like I'd want to know about the last eight years. <laughs> <laughs> what you been up to? Just kind of sitting here. His his, <laughs> his blood alcohol level is probably a little bit higher. I drink a lot. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers to you. It's probably kind of nice. It's a horrible nice. German accent, by the way. Thank you. Mm. Mm. Is Pope Benedict your favorite pope? Is that a question? Uh, it yeah. is a question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have to title it. Question number five. Yeah, no, it's it's or different. The person because has the it, most impact on you. You know, I think it it's more so. I don't know. I think John Paul II had more a sense of like the conversional part of me, whereas I think Benedict had more of the formational part. Right? Um, they were just a just a. Slamming back to back duo, like it, it's it, you. You rarely, you know, see that boom boom, and they were like that. They were like a boom boom power punch. And we've had a lot of pope saints in the last in the twentieth, nineteenth century. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, and and think about this, like in the contemporary age where you had, you know, John Paul II, Mother Teresa, Benedict, like those were like three powerhouses, you know. And I was thinking not long ago, I was like, we need. We need a few people like that these days, like to raise up in, in this time. And you see that in the church. It's like every, you know, generation, there are leaders that rise up and we need those right now. Like 
whereas John Paul II fought communism and started these political, like really hard political things with with Christ at the forefront, very gently and beautifully, but like powerfully. And Mother Teresa was able to speak against so many things and Benedict theologically just, you know, brought us back on course. We just need that right now in leadership. Mm-hmm. All right, question number six. Um, so kind of tying all that together, the first, I don't know, 25 or so popes were all martyrs, right? Oh, they're dead. Yeah. Um, and so this Easter season, the sense of mission, the sense of martyrdom and, and, and leadership, um, speak to me, because like you've, you've had some contact with the African church, you know, and talking with people from there and, and places that we don't know, but that martyrs are, are there and like people suffering for the faith. What has that done for you and your your own faith, your own faith journey, like this idea of our experience of the Western church, our experience here is just different than other places, and there are still places where you're suffering and dying for Christ. I just think I'm I'm a baby. I'm weak, you know. You know, so we grow stronger through adversity, and if we haven't experienced that spiritual adversity, we're probably just we don't have the muscles that other Christians have who are experiencing martyrdom or you know, threats or, you know, whatever. But correct me if I'm wrong, is that the word martyr, you know, in its word breakdown, etymology, it means to witness, right? So in a sense, like we're all called to witness and, and almost like embarrassed, to be embarrassed and humiliated for Christ in some way, like to put ourselves out there. So to be martyred, we can be martyred, you know, for our faith by witnessing and being humiliated for Christ in our own world, our own circles, and our own families to be, you know, loving and bold in that way. And that's how we grow spiritually. We we grow through that adversity. But when we don't, we sit back, our muscles, spiritual muscles, just, they atrophy. They just, they grow, they don't grow. So they shrink. Mm. Shrunken spiritual muscles. That's yeah. our first six pack in a little while. Yeah, we got through all six without having to... We fasted to a little while for Lent. <laughs> That's it. So thanks, everyone, for listening to the show. You can actually share the show on the podcast, Google Play or iTunes uh, podcast. You can share it on whatever uh, ways that you want with other folks. Uh, you can give it to the Bronco Raffle, broncoraffle.com. And all the things that we're doing through Art of Living, just go to discovertheartofliving.com. So thanks to Deacon Adam and Chad for being a part of the show and we'll be back next week. God bless.